Welcome to the June 11th edition of the PFF Forecast. It is a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We're going to dive in. We're a week away from the U.S. Open. Uh, it'll be ending at this time, around this time. Next week, so we're going to jump into some U.S. Open bets. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, and, of course, we've got some NFL stuff on deck as well. Bunch of new, A uh, bunch of new rushing props now on DraftKings. We're going to hit those pretty hard. Running the ball does matter in this podcast. And then we're going to talk about the NBA Finals right at the end, game Five is on uh, Monday coming up. We'll decide whether this is uh, as one-sided as the Zion Williamson uh, social media exchange. That's right. been dissecting uh deeply we've got salary cap uh, specialist brad spielberger uh on to talk about whether one hundred seven thousand dollars per month uh is overpaying or not um brad what is your take i mean that's like a practice squad salary for the season we're talking you're getting that on a 12 12 months out of the year i mean just in, in new orleans that i can tell you from experience uh, if you made that move to New Orleans, that one hundred seven thousand a month would have ran, would have ran you pretty far uh, in the lovely city of New Orleans. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing all right. More salary cap wizardry from from New Orleans sports teams. If you don't know what we're talking about, that's probably for the best. If you do, you're probably laughing a little bit. Um, welcome to the forecast. Uh, for those of you that are new, uh, we appreciate you. For those of you that are long time members of the printing press, it is always good to have you here. If you have not uh, joined the Printing Press Discord, highly recommend that you do. During the off-season, we've got a ton of different stuff. We talk about it on the podcast, but really, that's the best place to see what everyone uh, in the community is betting on, get some good advice. Brad, Judah, obviously, all uh, three of us are in there. Ben Brown is dropping WNBA uh, manifestos in there on a daily basis. Um, uh, it is fantastic. Um, I highly recommend that if you are going to a baseball game, you join the Discord and you just at Judah and say, hey, I'm going to this baseball game and please give me a bet. This happened to me last week. Um, I Those of you that are have been with this podcast know that I think baseball is just a real labor of love. It's very hard to get through. And I was going to a game. I was going to Reds Dodgers in the lovely city of Cincinnati. I hit Judah up. I said, Judah, I'm going to this game. Give me a reason to watch. My guy fires over a six to one same game parlay. Of course, I don't show up on time. I show up in the top of the third just in time to see the parlay hit. Just in time. The parlay hit. It was the first thing I watched was, I think it was J.D. Martinez hit a two, uh, a double to pick up both of the bases that I needed to, to, to close out that parlay. So, Judah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you didn't even tell me that you missed the best part of the game, which is, you know, watching in, in the first inning as our first two legs cashed. Uh, and then, yes. Just walked in. I didn't hear that well, part. Of I was watching. I was watching. I was eating dinner um, at an establishment I will not name because it was Mexican food that does not deserve to be called Mexican food. Not surprising. Um, but <laughs> going absolutely insane as the as the Dodgers players hit. I mean, they were just pelting uh, Williamson. I forget who it was that was that was pitching. And I'm the only guy in the bar cheering for these random Dodgers hitters. That's the beauty. That is the beauty of betting. You go in, you're a fan. I'm a fan of zero players in this game. All of a sudden, a diehard fan of Will Smith. Who knew? Um, let's. Uh, and by the way, uh, people that are new here, the, the big bet that we have, we're baseball bettors, as you know. Um, the big bet that we have 
300 to one, the Chicago White Sox to win the World Series. I took all of the winnings, Judah, and I I piled it on to White Sox to win the World Series. So we're, we're both going to be able to pay for the printing press, uh, you know, Cabo boat. I like it. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Let's, let's get into um, a little uh, NFL stuff. So we've been kind of tackling the different players, futures markets. I think this is a, a fun conversation. We'll try to keep it uh, light and roll through here. We don't, you know, allocate a huge amount of our bankroll to futures bets, but when there is a particularly juicy one, uh, we'd like to, to try and, um, get the, the printing press exposed to it. DraftKings Sportsbook, they have a pretty robust amount of, of futures. They now have a lot more rushing and receiving yardage uh, totals for players this season. So we're going to hit those. We're going to start with rushing yards. We'll do receiving yards next week. Um, but we want to give rushing the due that it deserves. A lot of, lot of talk out there with the Dalvin Cook thing on social media about the value of running backs. People ranting and raving about how this man is rushing for over a thousand yards and no one wants to pay him anything. We've got a whole debate on rushing yards over expected that is raging. Remember the printing press, Tej Seth, um, who has really done a great job of popularizing rushing yards over expected and built um, a model using PFF data that um, you can find on, on his Twitter handle. People who are not a fan of rushing yards over expected. Before we jump in to the, the props, I just want to get your guys' take. Brad, I'll start with you. Um, maybe a little bit on the Dalvin Cook thing, but also on the rushing yards over expected stuff. Yeah, quickly to the Dalvin Cook thing. You know, I think that we, we've seen an obvious decline in his production on a snap-by-snap basis. He does break off some big gains still. I do think it's interesting if we find out he's been dealing with the separated shoulder. Eric, another obviously former member of the forecast, talking about how um, he thinks his biggest issue right now is just avoiding contact and not playing through contact. Hmm. And maybe that changes after the surgery he got. Um, as for rushing yards over expected, look, I do think there, of course, I think a lot of the Critiques that people pointed out are all things that do feed into the model. The biggest one you always hear about, oh, it doesn't account for the blocking. Yes, it, it does. Uh, you know, or, or it doesn't account for, you know, X factor, Y factor, Z factor. Look, I'm not saying it's perfect. It, it certainly is not. Um, it probably tries to take into consideration anything you see people on Twitter saying it does not take into consideration. Yeah. Uh, playing through contact. Uh, staying on the field, similar issue that Zion is having. Um, Judah, what about you? Yeah, no, I think I think Brad's right. Uh, what's also kind of bothersome about the the point is like no one's saying that rushing yards over expected is the be all end all metric, uh, and like this is a common thread, which is like you post something which is supposed to kind of capture one data point, uh, and it's like oh, uh, this thing is supposed to measure the all like running back uh, quality play or like you you know. Uh, say something about a, a quarterback's decision making. Let's say something I did last summer. It's like this is the be all end all metric quarterback. Play. Like no one's saying that. Like football is an extremely complex game. There are 22 people on the field uh, interacting with each other at the at the same time. None of us really know how uh, to kind of parse out those interactions. And this kind of gets us a little bit closer. Uh, and there's a sort of gradualism uh, that I think rushing yards over expected captures, which gets us a little bit closer to understanding running back play. Uh, and no one's saying we're there and we can kind of understand 100% of the variance. And that's said very upfront. I think that's well put. Um, not to, to belabor the point here, but... I think of another easy metric to look at that captures, I think does a better job than rushing yards over expected of um, just quantifying how well the the runner is doing their job is, is rushing grade. Again, PFF rushing grade strips out 
the job of the running back. So it's not going to give the running back overdue credit for how the offensive line is blocking, right? We know that if you, um, this is one of the first things I did at, uh, at PFF was if you pr- try to predict rushing yards on a per play basis, um, you can create a model that has a bunch of different variables, a bunch of different features. It should surprise absolutely no one that how good your running back is, is like the seventh most valuable variable in that model. How good your offensive line uh, plays, how good your offense is overall, how good your quarterback is, is um, incredibly predictive and more predictive actually than how good the running back is. So um, just to, to give some context there, Dalvin Cook's rushing grade, PFF rushing grade 2020 was 89.8. In 2021 was 67.1, and in 2022, 72.4. So I think at this point, you're probably getting running back that is much closer to average than elite. Um, he has gained over 1,000 yards each of the last three seasons, which everyone wants to, to talk about ad nauseum. But I think looking a little deeper than that is important. As for rushing yards over expected, I think the biggest issue is that you're really attributing basically an error term. I, I don't love it as a way for quantifying the, the running back's contribution. I, I think um, a better way to kind of think about it is actually the heuristic that I just talked about, which is if you are trying to predict the outcome of a running play, what's the variable importance of the running back's c- contribution to that model? I think it's actually the more nuanced and mathematically appropriate way uh, to look at that. And some people have talked about it. Either way, when you look at a, at a, a metric like that, you know, looking at how it correlates year to year, how predictive it is, can be an eye inside of the value of it. And to Judah's point, it's it says something, but doesn't say a lot um, about you know how running back is going to do it in future years. So it's a it's a part of the picture, certainly not the whole thing. Um, but I did see something out there that said Dalvin Cook is not accepting any of these five million a year contracts. He wants a big contract. The team that pays Dalvin Cook a lot of money will be an interesting uh, an interesting case study for for how they do going forward. I can't imagine. I mean, Brad, what do you think his contract ends up being? Yeah, that that quote I saw as well, and I mean, you know, good luck to him because that just is the market at this position right now. Especially if you're going to get you know hit the market in mid June. Um, I thought the Denver you know quote that got out there made a ton of sense for a couple of reasons. A, they're spending kind of willy nilly. Um, you know, adding a lot of talent, trying to be relevant this year. You know, added Frank Clark this past week. Um, George Payton, the GM, was in Minnesota for probably the first four or five years of Dalvin Cook's career. So there are plenty of connections there. And of course, lastly, you know, Javante Williams coming back from a brutal Brutal knee injury. Sean Payton's tried to say he's going to be ready by week one. I couldn't be buying that less uh, if I tried. Um, so I think they make sense. And then it comes out today. Denver's probably not going to be in the market. Probably not interested. To me, it's like, okay, so it's Miami. Um, even Buffalo. Like, you sign Leonard Floyd. You extend at Oliver. I know James Cook brother. is brothers. Th- yeah, but like. They're, they're now second in cash spending in the NFL, I believe. Like, are they going to spend a good amount of money on running back? Like, I don't really see it. So I just wonder if Denver is truly out, I don't know who else besides Miami is in. Isn't the bet almost that Cook's, make, that Cook's making is that, like, someone's going to get hurt in training camp uh, and he's going to try and take advantage. Like, that's got to be his bet. If he's saying, like, I'm going to hold out. I have enough money from my current contract with the Vikings. Um, like, I'm going to bet that's because someone is going to get hurt. That's going to happen inevitably. Uh, like before week one or even early in the season. I think that's got to be his bet. Is I would there, assume uh, he wants to sign before week one. Go ahead, George. I was going to say, can you confirm, Brad, that Miami is actually interested? I think they are. I mean, I can't confirm personally, but I would be surprised if they're not at least having conversations. But again, 
they're not going to pay more than they need to. They're also top five in cash spending, and they're not about to pay a bunch of money if there aren't other suitors keeping him out of their, you know, he's posted them twice on social media. He's from South Florida. It makes a lot of sense, but they're not going to be like, okay, well, no one else wants, like, we're going to pay you one year, 5 million. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, this, uh, not to get back to something that we started the podcast over, but this seems like there's an uneven amount of desire on each side, you know, where, one one member of the equation is a little more invested than the other um and that happens to be down cook like it makes a ton of sense for him <laughs> i get that you're from south florida you want to go to miami really good team uh yeah from miami standpoint to me it makes absolutely zero sense you invested in running back in the draft you have a couple of running backs already you have an offensive scheme that has proven time and time again that it will take fast running backs without this first round pedigree and turn them into um, really dynamic running backs. So uh, yeah, it, it, it really, I gotta be honest with you, feels to me like a, a prayer kind of just lobbing one up, hoping that, uh, that the, that the dolphins will ask him to go to the dance as opposed to having a real kind of uh, impetus there. But anyways, let's get on to players that actually do have rushing yardage props posted Dalvin cook obviously does not because we don't know what team he is on but there is a very robust uh group here again we're looking at DraftKings um for for these lines let's start with you judah um give us the first one on your mind yeah i got cam acres uh under 750 and a half rushing yards i mean just start with like the expectation here this is going to be a bad offense uh, i think uh, and as you said numerous times a pretty bad o-line uh but i think really what this is about is uh, especially when we're betting props here, volume matters a lot. Uh, and we have no idea who's going to be playing running back for the Rams in week six or week seven. Like if anything, Sean McVay uh, has like changed who he wants to be his uh, so-called bell cow running back uh, like seven times over the course of a season. Like Darrell Henderson started the year last year. Kane Akers was like totally in the doghouse. He's going to get cut. Uh, then all of a sudden uh, he was like the, the full-blown starter from like weeks 13 uh, through 15 or whatever it was. Uh, I just don't see that he's going to have the consistent playing time uh, to reach 750 yards in a bad offense. Like I, Kyron Williams is going to get some runs. Some random guy is going to pop up in week seven or eight who's going to be getting 70% of the snaps. I just I don't see it for Cam Akers. Cam Akers. Yeah. Um, I'll be stunned if I'll be stunned if he goes over that. Brad? Yeah, so I have an under start as well. Uh, it is Brian Robinson with the Washington Commanders under 825 and a half. Feel good story, great story. I think is a good early down runner. Does show up well in metrics like rushing yards over expected, or at least did last year on a relatively you know small sample size. When you want to at least make some sort of extrapolation from that data, um, which you know not to go back to that discussion, but it, it's one data point. It's an important one. But nevertheless, um, you now have him, Antonio Gibson, and the rookie Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky, who apparently Eric Bieniemy is extremely high on. Uh, that are the reports that are coming out. I think a sixth six round pick out of Kentucky. I, I'm watching him multiple years you know in, in the sec east he is a again an early down bruiser um gonna get those yards after contact gonna just be a very straightforward you know get you five yards in a cloud of dust type guy and then you have sam howell right so, so you have you know a, an offense that is probably gonna have a lot of short drives probably not stay on the field very long probably not build a lot of leads that you're then bleeding late in games by running the football out of it um, you know, yes, the defense is good. So maybe they think they can kind of run and be in games, but 
you know, realistically more so we could expect some late game throwing to get it back into games or throwing to, you know, stay, get out of a tie or, or take a lead, whatever. Um, anyway, I, I just think it's too much for, I, I think there's going to be a legitimate three, three back committee. Um, and, and Robinson again, like him, he's fine, but, but I don't think he's going to get over 825 rushing yards next year. One as well. I felt a little guilty here. I have a couple of, um, I have a couple of overs uh, that I like, and I feel feel a little dirty uh, saying that. But we'll see what you guys think about them. The first one uh, that I like is uh, Najee Harris, uh, nine seventy five and a half. So the idea behind, I think Brad, you've mentioned this a couple of times that he, you know, was going through a, a pretty significant injury, overcoming a pretty significant injury last year. The other thing was that they had just this kind of quagmire at quarterback for a while. Um, did not eclipse 75 rushing yards before week 10. From week 10 onward, however, he went over 75 rushing yards. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, of his last uh, eight games. Um, and, and, you know, that with Kenny Pickett kind of getting in the in the um, groove of things, if you will call it that. Um, so seemed to pick it up towards the end of the year. His rushing grade backs that up as well. Had his four highest graded games after week 10. Then we'll have an entire offseason to get back healthy. A guy that I think will have a lot of um, desire to kind of regain what was a, you know, rookie season where everyone loved him. And then everyone like couldn't stand him in 2022. So I think a little bounce back here from him. He's gone over a thousand yards each of his past two seasons. I think this is more baking in some of the pre-week 10 Harris that we saw. I think he probably got a lot more of the post week 10 uh, coming his way. So over on Najee Harris. Judah, what's this is one? officially, this is officially a Najee Harris podcast. Yeah, I, I was going to say after all the flack yeah, we're so. taking, especially you, George in particular, taking a lot of flack for being anti-Steelers. We are a Najee Harris podcast at the PFF yeah. forecast in 2023. <laughs> Love it. I'm excited um, to be back. Well, welcome me back Steelers <laughs> fans. Open up. Um, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I'll go with another over here. Uh, it's Isaiah Pacheco over seven seventy five and a half. Uh, he had eight hundred thirty yards last year rushing. Uh, he didn't earn his role until midway through the season. I expect him to to kind of have that starting role that he had towards the end of the season in the playoffs. He succeeded in that role, and like seven seventy five, not a huge number for uh, a guy that should be on a team that is winning lots of games late. Uh, yes, the Chiefs throw the ball a ton. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco was effective last year. I don't see why that would uh, not continue in his his second year with a full-time role. Yeah, we're banking that he's not um, as bad as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. First-round pick, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the missing piece um, for the the Kansas Chiefs. Missing piece was actually drafting him first and then not playing him. That was what allowed them to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Brad, what's your second bet? Yeah, that was the key. Uh, Daenerys Prince is the undrafted guy in Kansas City. Everyone's buzzing about, but uh, I like the Pacheco bet, uh, bet a lot as well. So I also have an over. Um, uh, look, Aaron Jones is kind of the opposite of Devin Cook. He was scheduled to make $16 million this year in Green Bay. Obviously, no team is going to be giving $16 million in cash to a running back probably in the near future. Um, and they chopped off $5 million, but still kept him at a very legitimate, respectable value of $11 million in cash. He stayed by the team. He's talking about how good Jordan Love is, how they're not rebuilding, how, every, yeah, you know, he is he is Mr. Green Bay right now. And look, A.J. Dillon's there in a contract year. Um, is always going to vulture some short yardage work. 
Um, you know, when you take a, a fullback in the second round, like AJ Dillon, you got to give him some carries, some fullback dives, you know, near the goal line and on third downs, but, um, but over 800 and a half rushing yards for Aaron Jones. Look, um, is this offense going to be as efficient? Is he going to get as many light boxes, all those things as they did with Aaron Rodgers? No, but um, they, they are always going to be a run first team with Matt LaFleur. Uh, and obviously now with Jordan Love might even be more of a run first football team. And I just think he's going to get fed. I, I think he really is going to get um, a ton of opportunity. The carries will be there. And it still is a good offensive line. You're probably now getting a healthier Bakhtiari, a healthier El- Elton Jenkins. They've added some more pieces. Um, I-, I like this number a lot for Aaron Jones here. Yeah, I was actually looking at the um, so Aaron Jones is at 800 and a half, which is what you said. Yep. Um, and Jay Dillon, I believe, is seven seventy-five and a half. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I think you're betting on some uncertainty with some of the quarterback situations, I think is a, is an opportunity here to, to get a little bit of an edge. So I, I do kind of like that one. I would say Aaron Jones provides a lot more, a lot more as a receiver. Um, and if you're trying to make Jordan love look decent, I think you probably want Aaron Jones on the field a little bit more. Um, that's just kind of my, uh, my take. Um, I'll go to uh, an under here uh, to, to spice things up a little bit. This is, um, this is just kind of a fade of an offense, a new offense with a new quarterback, and that is Tampa Bay. Rashad White um, is uh, 650 and a half. So Rashad White was not very good last year with Tom Brady at quarterback. Their offensive line is a complete and utter nightmare. Um, it was an, a nightmare last year. It's going to be a nightmare with Baker Mayfield uh, in the back backfield. I don't have any faith in their scheme whatsoever. Um, I don't think we've seen any evidence that Rashad White is going to be some particularly, you know, um, durable guy. They've got Keyshawn Vaughn and Chase Edmonds. I think both of them are just as good as Rashad White. Um, So I don't even know if he's like playing a lot, you know, by the time that the season gets going. I think there's going to be a very short leash uh, for someone like him. But you look at that offensive line. It is so absolutely terrible. Other than Tristan Wirfs, all of these guys are either ungradable because they haven't played enough have a sub 30 PFF grade or a sub 50 PFF grade. So it is really kind of a nightmare there. I think they're going to be behind. So they're going to be throwing a lot. So he's probably not going to get as much usage, even if he were to be a bell cow there. So I like just kind of fading Rashad White um, completely uh, in Tampa Bay. Judah, what's your next one? Uh, let's go with James Connor under 750 yards. Connor's had one of the highest snap shares when healthy uh, of any running back this year. He's like 28. Uh, next year, I don't expect that to continue. Uh, not to mention, I think this might be the worst offense in football. Uh, and like he barely squeaked by this number last year with Kyler Murray playing half these games with an already high snap share. I think if you kind of build in some inevitable, uh, you know, other guys just coming in and the fact that this offense is just awful, they're not going to be uh, competing in very many games. I don't really see how he he gets to, to 750. Uh, I don't even think he'll be the starting running back by week 10. That's the thing. It's like with running backs, there's so much, I mean, half these guys, maybe more than half, maybe like 80% could just not be starters within three weeks of the NFL season. Um, Brad. Yeah. I don't really have an official play left and far be it for me to take another like 28 plus year old running backs over. um, Especially with what you just said. I do think it's just interesting 
For Joe Mixon, and I think part of the bet here, or part of the line here, I should say, is baked in some of the uncertainty of like, is Cincinnati going to stand by him? He's got legal stuff going on and all that. It's 825 and a half. They lose Samaji P. Ryan to the Denver Broncos. Yes, they draft Chase Brown in the fifth round, who's a good player and, and, and was kind of an effective early down rusher. Illinois can catch the ball a little bit as well. I'm not saying I, I'm not betting it, but. It's an interesting line because the narrative, I think, has kind of flipped back to, like, Mixon's our guy. He's our number one back. He's going to be here for the season, yada, yada. Um, And I think this offensive line has improved. uh, And and I think, obviously, we know with this team, they are going to have some leads to protect and and some games to bleed out. So it's not a a bet. I I like it as much as the first two. But if you do like it, I, I don't hate it. So I think the, the I was looking at that one. I was going to ask you, Brad, for is the thought that he's going to be legally allowed to play? See, what he did, I don't think is going to be in the suspension realm. I think it was more a question of like people wondering, are the Bengals going to like cut him or or just not want to deal with it anymore? I don't get the from what I've read and everything I've read about the case. It seems like a simple civil civil, you know, out of like it's not it's not yeah. Alvin Kamara level the way I interpret it. Okay. Yeah, because I would say from a usage, you know, to your point earlier, Judah, like a guy that will get usage if he's on the field. Yeah. Joe Mix. They love yes. nothing more. <laughs> Handing that ball off to Joe Mixon and uh, keeping Joe Burrow from taking a hit. Um, I have one uh, one more. The most underrated rushing quarterback uh, in the NFL, I think, is Daniel Jones. He's at 575 and a half, had 805 yards last year. They've now given him this big contract. So you think about what that means, okay? He's going to have to try and prove that he's worth $40 million. As a passer, it's going to be kind of tough. 84 and a half. Uh, PFF rushing grade last year, as I mentioned, 805 yards, half of those coming uh, after contact, um, I think is a an underrated runner. Now, 65 of the, his 144 attempts were scrambles. They're going to run the ball to him in a design fashion. I think they need to do that even more um, to, to give him more kind of advantageous looks as a thrower. So I, I think he, he kind of, sque- uh, not squeezes, sails by this this coming season pending he, he stays healthy and I see no reason. Uh, why shouldn't so that's my last one judah any more from you yeah i got i got one more uh we're really sensitive theme here of uh taking the unders on offenses i'm very bearish on uh which goes to you know really tie in our conversation about rushing yards that were expected but uh you got miles sanders under 925 yards i don't think the panthers are going to have a good offense at all this year uh it's rookie quarterback uh they don't really have many weapons i don't see them uh leading often in games miles sanders as it were I uh, never really took a, a huge role uh, for the Eagles. Like they really split carries with, you know, Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. He's not really a, a burner type guy. The Panthers, I mean, it's a different regime, uh, but they use Chuba Hubbard. Uh, they're going to, I imagine one of these undrafted uh, free agents is going to kind of make his way into the rotation. Sanders is not a full-time player. I don't think, uh, and I don't really, I'm not really bullish on this offense. He gets hurt, you know, two, three games. There's no prayer that he has uh, 900, you know, 25 rushing yards. Yeah, I saw that one as well. And it's like, that feels a little rich, a little rich to me for the for the Carolina Panthers. Although in Frank Reich, I trust. Now, before we get on to the US Open, quick reminder, you can get PFF Plus subscription 25% off right now. Promo code forecast, F-R-E-C-A-S-T. Now is a good time to buy because it'll take you through the entire year. That's through fantasy season, betting season, draft season. So you get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools a couple new ones that are coming your way this season. I promise you it'll feel like an absolute deal by the time fantasy season rolls around about a month from now. 
So grab that that uh, little promo now. Then, of course, betting and then into the NFL draft, the NFL mock draft simulator and through free agency where there's no one that does better uh, than Brad Spielberger. And of course, during fantasy, yeah, sorry, during betting season, Judah Fortgang puts out a little piece about same game parlays you may or may not want to get invested in. So go get that uh, PFF Plus subscription, pff.com or on the PFF app, promo code forecast, gives you a 25% off. All right, US Open. It is being played at Los Angeles Country Club, the North Course. As you would expect, there are videos of people dropping golf balls into the rough and then them promptly disappearing. There are par threes that are 300 yards. This is the hardest uh, set of par threes that you will find on the PGA Tour. Um, it is shaping up to be a pretty nice weather weekend in Southern California next weekend. So it should be a fantastic time. Uh, Brad, have you begun the research process you and your data golf subscription shout out data golf have i begun yeah shout out data golf also want to shout out bet spurts uh they, they actually uh threw the, the forecast pod i have it but i should share it um a quick short free tutorial to check out their tools uh, and their data as well and they have some awesome golf stuff as well so uh this is using data golf and bet spurts and, and what they have to offer with their golf package Thanks to both groups for, for always helping us bless the people uh, with some winners here. So have I dove in? Of course I've dove in. We're deep, deep into the U.S. Open here. Um, I would first as say deep as, the rough. as deep as the rough at L.A. Country Club. I would actually want to first point out, though, George, if you are a bet Max Homa and you didn't hear George tell you that six months ago, you're too late. No one was earlier. I yes. think George bet Max Homa on an unofficial book because it wasn't even listed when he wanted to place that bet. <laughs> That so, was that was Super Bowl weekend, and uh, I was the only person that even knew the U.S. Open was being played at uh, at, at L.A. Country Club. But I, I will shout out—I won't name him by name—but a member of the printing press who I met in person in Phoenix at the Super Bowl told me of that. So if you think the community is not strong, uh, it is very strong. Um, holds not just the course record at LA Country Club. He's from LA, from Southern California, um, but also apparently has the three uh, three lowest scores overall at the course. So this is something that he has dominated and played really well uh, at. He is now thirty to one. Um, I, I got him at I want to say forty forty five point where he was like thirty three uh, to one for a little while. But thirty, I will say, is is not bad given that data point right like you look at the guys at the top obviously scheffler outright winner favorite at seven to one john rob nine to one which makes sense i don't understand how these books keep putting rory as like a top five player in these in these events like this is just like banana land um the dude is a complete disaster even if he plays well to start like he did in canada he just completely melts uh as it gets down the stretch he's 11 to one kapka also 11 to one so you look at that kind of like top grouping, Cantlay 14 to 1, Hoblin 16 to 1, not a ton of strength there. I feel like this is a pretty wide open um, event. And so to get the guy that has the three lowest scores on that course uh, all time at 30 to 1, I feel like it's still a good value, Brad. So to address two points there. So first, the McElroy point, I've now started betting his top fives and top tens, but not his number ones. Even better point, if he starts off slow, but he still makes the cut, do a live top five or live top 10, which I found at both Caesars and DraftKings. And he'll, because there's no pressure, he'll shoot a 62 on Sunday and finish T fourth. Cause there's yeah. no, you know, he's, he's not actually going to win. No so pressure. 
Yeah, that, that's that's how you bet Roy McIlroy now. But also, um, I'm glad you mentioned. Um, I don't I don't like a lot of the favorites either. So my three big bets for who for who I like to win. And, and real quick, the thesis here you mentioned. Look, there are thick roughs. It's Bermuda grass, which apparently is even harder to play out of the rough. I've mentioned recently, Data Golf now has a particular tool for approach shots out of the rough, in particular from both 150 yards um, and and under and over 150 yards. Also, I promise we're not chasing guys that we bet recently that haven't come through for us, but we were on the Victor Hovland train. He finally won. We were on the Corey Connors train. He was top, you know, top five this week. All these things. A guy that I've liked a bunch. I'm not even sure if I've given him out yet, maybe in matchups, but who had the funniest weekend at the Canadian Open went par eight under, par eight under. That's Tyrrell Hatton <laughs> finished in second place with the funniest four scores I've ever seen, uh, but playing very, very good golf the last three months or so. Um, and in particular, is phenomenal playing out of rough. So um, he's a fiery guy. He's fun to watch as well. He's a maniac. He'll probably throw a club, probably break one over his knee at some point. You'll enjoy the entire experience for all four days. Um, but he's awesome. Very, very good player. So it's partly you want to look at approachability and out of the rough. You want to be good off the tee. You don't have to be a bomber. A lot. It is a long course, but a lot of slanted uh, fairways that are going to roll. You just want to be accurate. It's very wide fairways. So just get the ball in play. Let it run. The first one is Terrell Hatton, and he is at 40 to 1. I like that one a lot. So, second play, Jordan Spieth has been flirting a lot with, with wins. And look, I never bet Jordan Spieth. I think he always has a bad price. And I think we're finally getting a pretty solid price on Jordan Spieth here. So, his driver has never been a strength of his. He's a phenomenal short game player, maybe the best bunker player in, in the world or one of them. If he has a lot of those chips and stuff around the, the the George, the video you mentioned, the guy dropping the ball in the rough was right around the green. You couldn't even see the thing. We've seen Jordan Spieth chip those in once a weekend. That, that That's his game. The last two months, his driver's been phenomenal. It's been accurate, and it's been long enough to where he's in a position to attack par fives and two, to, to get close to pins uh, You know, on par fours. I think we're now getting a good price at 25 to one because his driver is doing well enough, and he's playing some very good golf. I like him a lot at 25 to one here. Honestly, not a very good U.S. Open player, um, but but I, you know I, I like the price. I, I thought he was going to be about 15 to one. Instead, he's 25. The last one, uh, the biggest favorite is, is Xander Shoffley, uh, who is 18 to one. His game's just great for this as well. He's top 20, I think, in both the under 150 and over 150 approach strokes gained out of the rough. Again, not a bomber off the tee, but but gets the ball in play, is accurate. And then also has a great short game, can manage a lot of those chips and things around the greens. He's a guy that I think also, look, you're going to make bogeys. You're going to make double bogeys this weekend. You, it's going to happen. I think the winner is going to be at like minus eight for the weekend. He's always a guy that does that and then bounces back with some birdie runs and, and doesn't lose his composure. Um, so, so those are the three guys I like to win the tournament this weekend. I like those. Are you betting those? Uh, as winners, top five and top 10, how do you generally allocate? I do usually sprinkle a little bit of both. Uh, in terms of a, a total bankroll perspective, I, I also leave, I would say, probably about a quarter of my bankroll for the weekend for live bets, as we talk about a bunch. We, we love a lot live golf, yeah, live betting here. Um, I probably would say, even though obviously, you know, so for example, Shoffley is 18 to one to win, four, uh, four to one top five, two to one top 10. Even though the odds are drastically different, I generally do kind of a similar allocation for each bet. Um, but I, I will kind of start to, as I get to the longer, longer shots, 
I'll probably shift a little bit more, you know, into the top five, top tens. When I get into the 50 plus to one to win, I'll put more in the top five and top 10 bucket. Yeah, it's a good point. So Terrell Hatton, um, I was watching the, I, I love watching the tournament before a, a major and looking at guys that don't win, but play well. Terrell Hatton, great example of that. The dude is a great ball striker. And the guys that I'm betting on that I've already bet on all have this similar characteristic, great ball striker. And then looking for players that can put it in the fairway. And if they're going to end up not hitting the green, can manage you know, their way out of that, that rough, as you talked about speed. But Hatton, great example, 40 to one to win, plus 750 top five, uh, three to one, uh, a little better than three to one to top 10. A guy who doesn't have, he doesn't have to have his name mentioned once, right? For him to, to squeak into the top 10, right? Guy like kind of, you mentioned with Rory can shoot, go really low um, and can, can, you know, get their way into the top 10 on it with a, with a really good Sunday round. So um, I tend to be similar to you. I'll go a unit kind of on each of those. Um, and if it's someone that's a really big long shot, sometimes I'll go half a unit to win full unit um, on top 10 and, and top five. So here are the guys that, that I like. I mentioned home. I still think he's a value at uh, 30 to one to win six to one top five and, and three to one uh, to top 10. Um, but I'm going with some longer shots. You mentioned Hatton. I love him. Two guys that are 45 and 51 Bryson DeChambeau, 45 to one, uh, eight plus 850 to top five and plus 360 to top 10 has really, his game has really, I think, mellowed out. And he was right there with Brooks at the PGA. I really liked the way that he's striking the ball on the par three. So these are really long par threes. I think this is why I like Brooks the most. He is going to be able to hit irons into these par threes with a height to them that other players will not. I think it's a real opportunity for him to play particularly well by dominating those par threes. I'm worried about him hitting fairways. That'd be my biggest worry. But if he can kind of, he's cooled out a little bit. If he can just hit some fairways, I think he's got a really good chance to compete. Tommy Fleetwood, 51. I was telling Brad before this, I was rooting for him not to win. He was in a playoff to win the tournament, uh, the RBC Canadian Open today. I was hoping that he would not win so that his his odds would not get inflated. He did not win, but he was a guy, you watch this on, on 18, he kept hitting iron off the tee. He's a really good ball striker and he's not, he, he's in these positions a lot. And so I don't think he's going to have some sort of meltdown if he's in contention uh, come Sunday, really solid ball striker. We'll have the discipline, I think, to keep it in the fairway. And then a guy who's, um, so he is 50 to one uh, to win, nine to one top five, four to one top 10. Guy with the exact same profile in terms of his odds, but a very different player. Um, not short by any means, but is a wizard around the green is Shane Lowry. Um, I feel like this is a guy that I bet on just about every single major because of his short game and because the dude is just unflappable. Like he goes out and performs, he, he you know, kind of the anti Rory McIlroy there, despite being from a similar part of the universe. Um, so uh, big fan of all three of those guys. I actually like the fact that they're, they're 45, 50 and 50 to one. I feel like that is a, a ridiculous, um, a good opportunity. I could legitimately see one of them winning. Um, and that's kind of what you're looking for uh, in, in these tournaments. So I'm excited. I'm going to dive into data golf, Brad, a little bit more this week. We'll identify some some more um, some matchups for round one. But I'm with you as well. Like the live betting with golf is just such an awesome opportunity. I feel like Judah during during golf events because I'm able to bet live and, and actually know what I'm doing. And on that too, I'm glad you mentioned that because a great point. I brought it up last podcast, maybe last podcast about golf. 
Um, the front nine at this course is much more difficult than the back nine. I haven't mm. checked actually how they're launching off, but I assume kind of like most recent tournaments, it'll be, you know, half the guys tee off on 10, half the guys tee off on one. If a guy is a couple a couple below par early playing the front nine, it is more meaningful than if a guy is a couple strokes below par on the back nine. So keep an eye on things like that. The little asterisks on the scoreboard, if you're not a big golf guy, that's what that means. On the leaderboard early on, if you're watching coverage, the asterisk means they teed off on 10, was their first hole. So yeah, so, so that is a perfect example. Also, when you do dive into data golf, Bryson DeChambeau is number two in strokes gained on iron shots over 200 yards. So you you, you nailed that identification there of the of the par threes. That's that that's been his game so far this year. Trudy, you got all that? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's it's all down there. Look, I've been it's a process, you know, getting into to golf betting, and it starts with like touching grass itself. You know, I've been out on the course all week. Uh, I was hitting mm. the driving range. I hit it today. I hit it Friday. You know, I got to get prepared first you know, on the actual grass itself. Then we kind of dive into the data uh, and we can, we can have some bets for uh, this weekend. There you go. Touching grass. I love, I love spoken like a true, a true baseball player. Uh, okay. Let's, let's briefly talk about uh, finals game five. This is like, you go back as long as you want to all these, these, you know, it feels like something is over. So this certainly feels like it's over. It's three, one Draymond green on his podcast said it was over already, which I'm sure uh, they're playing in the heat locker room. It, it feels so, so, so over Brad. It's, it's nine is the spread um, in, uh, in Denver for game five. You wouldn't expect Miami to just lay down. I think they come out and play hard, but it feels like they are just so overmatched at this point from a talent perspective. Um, and they don't have anyone that's kind of showing up and just going bananas like, uh, like Caleb Martin did in, in the last round. So what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on, on game five? Yeah. I mean, Murray and Jokic didn't even play well uh, in game four um, and, and they won fairly comfortably. Uh, I hope folks listen to my rants about the unders. They're three and one in the series. The three of them hit by 20 points each. Uh, it finally got adjusted. I think in game five, it's at two Oh eight and a half, um, which mm -hmm. I still think I'm not going to bet it. Cause it's about a 10 point correction from the first four games, but um, is now more in line with what it should be. Um, I honestly think Denver wins and covers. I, I, I think the series is very, very over. Maybe I'm overreacting, um, but I'm going to look more into some player props, some exotic stuff like that. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I think Miami, every time we count them out, they come back and win. But, but I think your plays are betting, you know, in particular, I do like Jokic over points for the same narrative you gave out. I think Miami is going to try to make him a score again and see if that can be their last saving grace. And I think he drops like a 35 pluser uh, in game five. Yeah, that's been the the consistent bet that I've had. I've been betting Jokic over and then also um, some of the alternate point spreads. I, I bet him over 40 a couple of times. I feel like I should hit that bet uh, at some point here because the kind of the game play, I guess, has, has sort of gone away from him. And then Aaron Gordon had this obscene performance uh, in the last game. I'm not sure that's going to continue. His total is now up to 29 and a half. It's been 27 and a half, I think, for most of uh, most of the, uh, the series I'm kind of with you. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to hold with, with the Jokic plays, um, in terms of where I go. I just don't, I don't know. I don't have a really good sense for, for Miami. Maybe that's a good reason to bet Denver. Um, and maybe I'll come up with something by the time, uh, game tips. So go check out uh, the discord and see what everyone else is doing. Um, but I'm kind of ready for this, this series to be over so we can talk golf and we can get the John Morant 
uh, suspension. I feel like that's what everyone wants. No one really cares about this. Like they're like, okay, we know Denver's going to win. Like, let's get this over with so we can see if John Morant's going to play basketball for the Grizzlies again. Um, if we could bet on that, I would love to bet on that. What would you put? Actually, that's a good question. What would you put the over under on John Morant games missed? I'm going to do 41 and a half or yeah, 41 flat, right? Right at the midpoint of the, of the, of the season. Wow. I'll go under. I think that's an absurd amount of games to, to uh, pull a guy out. I mean, that is, that is ridiculous. Um, I, I think 20, I think Adam Silver, I'm getting inside Adam, Adam Silver's head for a second. I think he wanted people to go, Oh, it's going to be big right? Get people to talk about it a little bit during the finals and then come out with something after the finals that is actually not as extreme so that people, so that it's not that big of a story. I think he wants people to stop talking about this. <laughs> I think it'll be hefty. I'm, I'm going to say it's like 30 games, 25, 30 games. Um, so I'll take the under there. Um, that was our podcast. Uh, if you want some baseball bets, remember, go to the, the printing press discord, hit our guy Judah up. Um, it, uh, it will pay off. I promise you that we'll be back on Wednesday afternoon. We'll talk a little more U S open, uh, for sure. Um, so hang out with us. We appreciate y'all. Love you. Peace.